0: We're in the ninth chapter of Acts verse 19. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, as Lee mentioned one night in a sermon he preached, buried his wife in the frozen soil of China. When he finished that terrible task, he gathered his little family around him, put his arms around his children, and they prayed. He went home and went to bed. His son wrote his biography later and said that his father woke him in the middle of the night talking maybe to himself or praying. And this is what he said. It doesn't matter how much the pressure weighs. It only matters where the pressure lies, whether it stands between you and God or presses you nearer his heart. And then he heard his father sing his favorite hymn, Jesus, I am resting, sweetly resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. It matters not tonight how great the pressure is. It matters only where the pressure lies. I would not stand tonight to tell anybody to try to snow job somebody and make them believe that life has no pressure points. I have dealt with people today who have dealt with deep pressure. I would not try to convince you of the song we sing. We sing these dumb things like, oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a wonderful feeling. Everything's going my way. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, has today, everything gone your way today? You asked my wife when she ran out of gas today, if everything went her way. Uh, has everything gone your way today? That's a dumb song. And um, I suppose that there are no days that everything goes our way. Or oh, Robert says to expect a miracle. Robert Schuller talks about possibility thinking. Norman Vincent Peale says to think positively. I heard a guy say not too long ago, I think he might have something. He said, sometimes somebody needs to stand and tell us to think pessimistically. He said, somebody needs to stand and tell us that the miracle might not happen. That Murphy's Law may apply to you. I mean, if something bad could happen, it will. I mean, somebody needs to stand and say to us, He said, sometimes life is filled with disappointments and your day may go sour. For when we're expecting it, (laughs) we're prepared for it. So I'm not here tonight to tell you that life has no um, disappointments, that everything's going your way. But I am here to tell you how that the pressures that come can press you nearer the heart of God. Someone said that there are three stages that we go through in the Christian life. Stage one is, man, this is easy. Stage two, man, this is difficult. Stage three, this is impossible. And we're going to see all three stages in the life of this great man called Paul. And I want you to open your New Testament and get the green sheet and we'll look at it. The first is, man, this is easy. And it's in chapter 9, verse 19. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. He was with the disciples who were at Damascus. He was surrounded by this fellowship, this warm acceptance in Damascus, this little primitive town. I mean, now, what could happen to you in Damascus? I mean, it's like living in Gori. Now for those of you who don't know your geography, Gori is over by Monday, Texas, six miles from Monday. It is not a metropolitan city, I'll tell you for sure. I mean, the two city limit signs are on the same post. (laughs) It's It's a small place. Gori is one block this side of the resume speed sign. It's just a little bitty tiny spot. And nothing bad can happen in Gori. I mean, in Damascus, this little primitive village, right there in that little place where the disciples surrounded him, it was easy. It was glorious. He was growing. He was being nurtured. It was beautiful. And verse 20 says that there began to be an open proclamation, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. In Damascus, he was doing that. I mean, he he was headed to Damascus to exterminate the Christians. So the whole city must have been a threat to Judaism. I mean, it must have been Christian there. And here was this man who had said on his his calendar, I'm going to wipe out the Christians in Damascus. And all of a sudden he's with them and they're surrounding him and nurturing him. And he's proclaiming in their synagogues the Christ of God, the very one he denied. Man, you can't beat that. And the next verse says, And all those hearing him continued to be amazed. The word in the Greek is the root word for ecstatic. I mean, they were standing on the seats acclaiming him and applauding him. And they were ecstatic in the joy of it. You talk about something great going on. It was going on in Damascus. And Paul was in the center of it. And he was accepted and loved. And things were great. Man, this is easy. Christian life is a piece of cake. I was crucifying these Christians. Now they're loving me and they're nurturing me in this little primitive town of Nazareth, of Damascus. Things couldn't be better than this. But the next verse. The next verse. Let's look at twenty-three A. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. Now, where did this many days elapse? Where, where did that happen? It happened in Arabia. Now, now, we don't get this in the chronology of the book of Acts, but you'll find it, uh, the chronology of it in the book of Galatians. Don't turn there, but just trust me. Galatians 1, 17, and Paul said, And afterward I didn't go to Jerusalem before the apostles who were before me, but I went down to Arabia. And then back to Damascus. Well, how long did he stay there? We don't know. And what did he do there? We're never told. And how and why did he go there? It's never mentioned. He just disappears off the scene in Damascus and he goes down to Arabia, the backside of the desert. He went down to Arabia. Now, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a message in that. Here's a guy who is rolling. I mean, he's on a roll, and the Christian life is easy. Everybody accepts him. Everybody loves him. And with power, he's proclaiming the gospel. And all of a sudden, the Jews plot to kill him, and he's stuck off down in Arabia all by himself. Sanders has a marvelous book. Um called Robust in the Faith. And this is what he says about it. Listen to me, and I want you to hang on every word of this. He said his conversion and absolute dedication to Christ was followed by a period of seclusion in Arabia. God is anxious. Now, if you want to hear something, I want you to hear this. God is anxious that His children get a good education. Every man He has used has had a course in the University of Arabia a wilderness training. Joseph, Moses, Elijah, John the Herald, Paul, Bunyan, Morrison, Judson, even the divine son himself in the days of his humanity. These are a few of the distinguished graduates, but the fees are large, the course severely high, the discipline exacting, and many don't keep it up but drop out. The marked results are broad perspective, steady nerves, keen insight and eyesight. There come utter dependence on God, utter independence of man, childlike simplicity, warm sympathy and deep humility. But the highest degree goes to patience, the rarest trait of all, most Godlike, hardest and longest to acquire. God has no shortcuts in his training now there's some of you here tonight who are in Arabia I mean it's like a desert where you are there's no growth there's no greenery there's no grandeur you're in Arabia and you're in a and you feel like that you are just traversing the desert it's just barren there isn't it I found people, I felt their pulse just this week who feel like they're there. I mean, they say, I don't know what's going on in my life. I can't even pray. I can't even touch God. I can't even communicate with God. I can't even feel His presence. I'm just like I'm alone, a pelican in the wilderness, as Jeremiah put it, or the psalmist. Maybe you're in Arabia tonight. Let me tell you, that's the best place you can be. When you come to the end of yourself, to the end of your rope, and there's nowhere else to go, you're in the best spot because God then is able to use you. You better thank God for Arabia's. For in the steady and silence of Arabia, the most profound things that God ever teaches are taught not in the humdrum of the city, not in the busyness of, of everyday life, but in the desert experiences of the Arabias. Now, I um, introduced a concept to some, most of you knew it, but some of you didn't, called brokenness. Not everybody receives that concept. Uh, I don't think too many people know this but I have every time I've introduced that concept somebody re- re- rejects it, rebels against it I get these letters you know from people and they talk about you know this is a this is a, a wrong approach this is a negative approach it's not a negative approach. there's never been anybody used of God. Effectively and to the maximum that has not had some Arabian experience, as one one put it, a bold and deathless, uncompromising, uncomplaining embrace of the cross and an eternal, unfaltering looking unto Jesus who is crucified—the death of self. And that's what happened to the the apostle. Um, how can you come to the end of self, the death of self, when you're being acclaimed in, in Damascus, when everything's going well? And so he disappeared to Arabia. Now he's coming back. There's a return to activity. And you look in the green sheet. Verse 23b to 31. How was he received when he got back? Now you think that everybody's just going to welcome this guy back Chapter 19, verse 23b. And when, and when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted to, to, together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. By the way, would you jot this down in the fly leaf to look up 2 Corinthians eleven thirty-two? 32? And I, I want to read that to you. Just listen to this. 2 Corinthians eleven thirty-two 32 says, In Damascus, the. Look, in Damascus. The Ethnarch under Artus the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. Now, now here's the plot. Here is the Apostle Paul down in Arabia and the, the mayor of the city of Damascus, this Jew, was plotting to kill him when he got back in town. That's a pretty good reception, wouldn't you? That's, you know, that's really walking you home. Big banners, you know. Come on in, we're going to kill you when you get here, you know. But the disciples let him down in a basket over the walls. The beautiful story that I learned when I was a kid in Sunday school. What an intrigue. I thought, man, that must have been the most exciting thing that could ever happen. You know, here's the, you know, the cover of night, and they're slipping this guy out in a basket. I've come to believe that that wasn't such an exciting thing for the apostle. Here was one of the 70 top judges in, in all of the world... And he was crammed down in this basket in shame, being let down over a wall to spare his life. Let me tell you something. Being a Christian is no cloud nine experience. And how did the Christians receive him? Look at verse 26. And when he'd come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. What if Charles Manson walked into this auditorium and you know who he is don't you what if Charles Manson walked into this auditorium and I walked down this aisle and said I'm a believer Christian I want to live in Durant and I want you to receive how many of you would here was this man of God who had become the greatest man to walk the earth outside of Jesus just wanting to associate with the Christians and they would not and somehow I wonder just how many people are just like that I wonder how many folks were here this morning, sitting in this auditorium, who would just love to belong, who would just love to be received, and we're skeptical of them. I mean, even the Christians refused him; even the Christians rejected him, and they were afraid of him. And if it hadn't been for Barnabas with his arm around him, and old Barnabas is there, son of consolation, puts his arm around him, he says, "Hey, this guy is authentic." It's time to say something about you Barnabases that are here. How how I pray that your, your tribe will increase. In order to be, let me say parenthetically, in order to be a Barnabas you need three things. First of all, you need a vision to see what people are to become. Was it Michelangelo who said that he just took this piece of marble and he knew that there was an angel in there desiring, wanting to be released? A Barnabas is a person who can see others who, who have an angel enslaved inside of them wanting to be released. Somebody who has a vision to see others as they are to become Barnabas. Secondly, you need to be a person who is deaf to public opinion because public opinion will reject the souls of the world. Public opinion will tell you that this is not a good idea for you to become associated with that riffraff. That trash. And then thirdly, in order to be a Barnabas, you need to have determination to stay there regardless. Verse 29 talks about the Hellenistic Jews, these Jews who had a Greek background. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. The Hellenistic Jews rejected him. Pressure that is pressing him closer to the heart of God. And what about the church? Let me tell you about the church. Look at the next verse. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. I mean, um, we sure are glad you got out of town, Paul, because things are a lot better without you, pal. Um, you know, sometimes I uh, leave a church and I, I go to another church and I, I call back or I, I watch their bulletin hoping that they're just doing terrible. You know, they can't get along without me. <laughs> just hoping that they'll just be so sad that, you know, things are just terrible without me there. You know, I've found they get along great. They've just done better, really. And can you imagine this Apostle Paul, you know, and they, and they sent it, maybe they're just sending out message. Hey, Paul, we're doing great down here since you left. <laughs> We're just doing fantastic since you're gone. Pressure that's pushing him nearer to the heart of God. And the scripture says that, and there's a, there a strange absence of this man. He's not mentioned again in chapter 9. He's not mentioned again, chapter 10. He's not mentioned again in chapter 11 until verse 25. And Barnabas sets out to find him. They've lost his address. And he finally finds him over in Troas... That's the picture of this man who started out so well, things got rough. I mean impossible. Any of you there tonight? Or we do a terrible disservice to mankind when we tell them that when you become a Christian, all your problems are over. Now, there's some applications. I want to get these, and then I'm through. Application number one, in our growth in Christ... I want to spend a little time here. i got some extra time. In fact, the clock's unplugged. Time stands still. That's what you're thinking. It's just never going to get over. Application number one, in our growth in Christ, God does everything possible to stop the energy of the flesh. Can I say that again? In our growth in Christ, God does everything possible to stop the energy of the flesh. You know what? God wants more than anything else in us. He wants that word we talked about young people upstairs tonight. He wants us totally abandoned to Him. And so He takes away those things that we hold dear to our, in our hands in order that He'll be all that's left. I can promise you that from experience. The best things in life can only be seen when the light of God shines alone. And so He dims out all these other lights until that light shines alone. I'm one of those Jews who escaped Germany, says Abraham Pollock. I thank God for all the strokes with which I was driven from darkness to light. Listen to this man's testimony. It is better that we arrive beaten and bleeding at the glorious goal than that we decay happily and contented in darkness. As long as things were all right with us, that is the Jews, we did not know anything of God and the salvation of our souls and the world beyond. Hitler's arrows and our misery have led us To the innermost heart. We have lost our heavenly home, but we found we've lost our earthly home, but we found the heavenly one. We've lost our economic support, but won the friendship of the ravens of Elijah. On the bitter ways of immigration, we have found Jesus, the riches of all worlds. And God will do everything He can to do away with the energy of the flesh. God will do everything He can to bring you to a total abandon to Him. That's what He wants. And I've heard some of you pray for your friends. Take everything away from His life that He depends on, that He glories in, that He rejoices in, so He'll be totally abandoned to you. Take it all out. Take it out of His hands. Take it out of His life until He's totally left to you. I think God wants that in my own life as well as yours. For so much of what I do and so much of what you do is in the energy of the flesh. And there is no success in that. There is no power in that. There is no promotion in that. God wants us totally abandoned to Him. God wants us to trust Him for the resources to go on the mission trip. And so He may just... Flat out, give us nothing till the last day. God wants us to trust Him for the resources of this building. Uh, the, the, The promotions, that's fine and well, and we should do them. But somehow I sense that God wants to bring us to an abandonment to Him only. Maybe that's why we haven't succeeded so well. And God wants us to trust Him for all of these ministries that we're trying to... If they're of Him, if they're not of Him, they're not worth it anyway. He wants to take away from us the dependence on the flesh. Application number two. Are you still with me out there? Application number two. The pains of pressure. The pains of pressure... result in making us what God wants us to be. The pains of pressure result in making us what God wants us to be. I want you to visualize in your mind that potter working on the wheel, this vessel. The pains of the pressure of his hands result in making the vessel If Jesus learned obedience through the things He suffered and God's ultimate goal for you is that you be conformed to the image of His Son, why do you think you and I will not have trials and sufferings? The pains of His pressure make us what He wants us to be. It's not our successes. It's not the glory of of success. It's the pain of His pressure. Number three, everywhere pressure is applied, that is where our uniqueness is found. Now, I took a little class in woodworking in uh, high school, and I can promise you that my my uh, product that I made that little those little things I made they were unique. They, I mean. They could look at those things. We put them on display, you know, at the end of the year. And they could walk by and say, that's a Tidwell right there. I mean, a, a, you talk about a Rembrandt and a Picasso. They look at that and say, that's a Tidwell. Nobody had anything look like that. It was a unique thing. And I discovered, you know, and putting that uh, stuff on those lays, you know, haven't, didn't do anything. With, I've never done any woodworking before. I've, done, I've not done any woodworking since <laughs> on that. Really learned a lot. Learned one thing. That where you apply the pressure is where that product is unique. Every board looks alike except where you apply pressure. You ever notice that? Profound thought in it. I mean, every two before looks alike except where you apply pressure. Where God applies pressure in your life is where you're going to be unique. If he begins to apply pressure in the area of witnessing, it'll be where you are unique. It'll be in witnessing. If he applies pressure in the area of faith and trusting God, day by day, that's where your life will begin to take on a uniqueness. If he begins to put his finger down on some habit in your life or some thing that you're dealing with in your own life, where he puts his fingers, where you're going to be unique. Where God's finger is applied, where God's hand is applied, where the pressure comes down, is where you have a uniqueness that's straight from God. It's a beautiful thought. And so I'm asking God in faith, I'm I'm trying to pray to God, Lord, make me unique. And I know that as I pray that, that God is going to begin to press upon my life in certain areas. It's not going to be very pleasant when He does it and as He does it application number 4 by the way let me say and, dig, and, and let me digress a little bit i must say that the apostle paul who was transformed on the road to damascus and we talk about that a lot man that god arrested him and transformed him on the damascus road let me tell you where god transformed him he transformed him in arabia Now salvation and redemption came on the road to Damascus. And he was turned around in his life's values and pursuit. But let me tell you where God made this man. He made him in Arabia. You think about that a little bit. And the fourth application I'm through is that pressure, pressure is the evidence that God is at work in our life. You know... You know why some people can thank God, you know, for trials and disappointment and difficult I mean, they just praise God in any way. In all things, they praise Him because they know it's better than to be ignored or left alone. They know that the very fact that the pressure is there is the fact that God is at work in their life, that God is moving, that God is doing, that God is active. And that's worth whatever it takes. That song we sang, I wish we'd have sung that tonight. Whatever it takes for me to be, Lord, whatever you want me to be, that's what I want to do, whatever it is. It's not the words, but it's close enough. Let's pray together. Precious Heavenly Father, Holy Father, Holy God, we know you tonight as a father. So we come to you like children. We know you as a shepherd. So we come to you as a sheep. We know you as a king. So we come to you as a subject. Father, teach us. Shepherd, lead us. O King... Command us. And take away, Father, take out of our life all that we depend on, we trust in, that work of the flesh. And let us look up and see Jesus only. Oh, I pray, Father, that we can experience, we can begin to experience the Spirit-filled life, the life of faith, the life of submission, the life of the death of self. I pray that You'll work an Arabia in us. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Now I sense there might be a need for a public decision, so we give invitations. One invitation is to come trusting your life to Jesus. I know there are people here tonight who are unsaved. You're lost. If you died tonight, you'd go to hell. You'd be separated from God from now on. You've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior. I know there's some people like that in this place. I want you to be saved. God wants you to be saved. Jesus wants you to be saved. The simplicity of it, the simple plan of it is this, that you just confess your sin to God. You just repent of it. You just trust Jesus and Jesus only for your salvation. And you transfer that trust over to Him, place it on Him. Invite Him into your life by prayer. Just say, Jesus, I open my life up to Your presence. Come in and live in me. I know there's some here tonight probably who like to come and place their life in the church and serve God with us. And this has kind of been on your mind and heart. And you've been praying about it. Or maybe you just need to come and say, I just need a fresh beginning, kind of a new start. I've been under the pressure of the hand of God. I've been hating it. Now I realize perhaps God is moving me to a new place life and living let's stand and sing together we invite you to come